And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Bulletin. I'm your... Everyone's favorite podcast. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Stephen Lenahan, and this is... Michael Gormley. Good to see y'all. A.K.A. Delmer. And you can't see them. I can't see them at all, but I can see you, and that's what matters. That's right. You can see my <laughs> smiling face. So today we're going to talk about something pretty fun. We're going to talk about... Uh, I guess, I don't know if it's a, how should we describe this? We're talking about buildings versus people. Yes. So this phrase, buildings versus people, is something that I would say to Steven every other day, maybe? Yeah, it's kind of like our little rivalry, because <laughs> you're the you're the evangelization guru of the parish, if you will, and I'm the development guy. Yeah. So you have to raise funds for the ongoing maintenance of the church, Upkeep. salaries for people, yep. but also new and future projects and buildings and all that stuff right so when we were building the uh piazza fountain last year last yep. year for the 20th anniversary yes <laughs> stacking the deck there yep. i would say to him I, I, i'm just I, reminding you the purpose <laughs> it's important you know the purpose i almost i think almost every day for like two weeks i was like yeah i guess we prefer buildings over people you know that's a salary yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's cute uh no, yeah so we, last year we we renovated uh the piazza which honestly was kind of it was long overdue the fountain um that was built when the when the parish was originally built had um a lot of damage to it it was never filled with water it also had that beautiful pro-life statue that the knights of columbus donated to the parish and it was very nice um however it also had uh, a derriere on the back side of it um because it was a mother holding a child and she was not clothed and so uh, people coming out of mass yeah you get mooned when you come out of mass <laughs> and i love the statue i'm pro-life i love the knights of columbus it's a beautiful statue but we found a little bit better placement for it where the derriere is not facing anyone. <laughs> right when you're coming out of Mass. I actually love the new place because it's right overlooking the Little Saints playground that's right yep. next to the church. And it kind of creates this place of, like, this is where children thrive. Right. Like, yeah. the, the art expresses the utility of the playground and everything. So we found a use for it. <laughs> yeah, and surrounded by rose bushes. It's also right, right next to the Little Saints building. So it, it's definitely a better placement for it. Um, and then we, we, you know, kind of put this, this beautiful fountain in the middle. Um, the idea with that was to kind of cool the, the, uh, the feel down out there, um, cause it can get very hot in our, uh, at our church in the summer times here yeah. in the woodlands. Um, and then we of course added the statue of the blessed mother in front of the fountain. Um, the idea behind that was that when you drive onto campus on that kind of main Avenue, when you turn off of Bay branch, the first thing you see is the statue of St. Anthony, and then behind him, uh, it's kind of elevated the, the Blessed Mother, and then beyond that, you see the risen Lord above the doors as you enter the church through the main archway. So kind of that progression as you get towards the front of the church. But that statue of Our Lady also had another significance in that um, our 20th anniversary as a parish also coincided with the 100th anniversary of um, Fatima, of Our Lady of Fatima. And yeah, so awesome. um, while the statue itself is Our Lady of Grace, um, it still uh, is very intentional that it was um, Our Lady that we placed there. And we kind of dedicated our 20th anniversary to the Blessed Mother. Um, I think a lot of our parish um, and, and our parishioners owe some of their own miracles in their own lives to that devotion to the Blessed Mother. And so... Uh, nothing warms my heart more than to see um, yeah. the little people, especially little girls in our parish that are, you know, walking into mass and they stop and they hold the Blessed Mother's hand. What a model of, uh, of virtue for our young people. So, um, yeah, so that's a little bit of the history and the story behind that. A lot of ministries gave to it. Um, uh, and it wasn't a huge cost. And also, don't forget yeah. the other thing you did, right. which was 
cut into the concrete and put in those six trees. Yes. I think the motto of your development range should be up with the trees. Uh, yeah, we love trees we here. We love trees. More trees. The more trees, the <laughs> merrier. Um, and again, the idea with that was to kind of cool down the piazza, make it a little bit more inviting for people to congregate before and after masses. Um, and I think it's done that. I, I really think it's changed the whole look and feel of the piazza in the first year. Would you agree? I would agree because my daughters love that Mary statue. Mind you, you're in a yeah, yeah, and I think the other thing with the fountain was the idea with the with the three tiered fountain was um, obviously Saint Anthony of Padua. Padua is in Italy. Um, the archways and some of the architecture on the facade of our churches, and, and the idea of having a piazza is supposed to kind of allude to that more Italian type architecture. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot of thought there I think, is given to all of it, and 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 yeah. this is a great example of a development project where you could look at it and you could just say. Oh, well, they're just adding this stuff. You know, what's the point? But the point is to create an environment that is inviting so that there's communio, there's communion um, before and after mass uh, so that people aren't just coming to liturgy and then leaving and kind of getting their Jesus and then leaving, right? Like that's not the idea of mass is to just come and get my Jesus, but it is to be invited into this environment to this idea of what it means to be church. And the cool thing about the fountain and for those of us who aren't familiar with sacred art and, and religious art as it's evolved through the ages, that the Italian fountain that it is, three bowls with one center spout, is reminiscent of, it actually is very theological. So it's the, first, the spout part at the top represents God the Father as the principle of the Trinity. So his divine life spills out into that of the Son. So the top bowl represents the Son's divinity. The second bowl represents the son's humanity, so his divine life flows into the human life and then spills out into the life of the church, principally through the sacraments. So that's what those fountains are meant to symbolize. And so it's very catechetical on top of it all. And how do we get access to the humanity of Jesus? Through the yes of the Virgin Mary and the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. So you got the Virgin Mary right there, the, the dove window, weird-looking window, which we could talk about at some other time. Um, and you have all that kind of symbolism all right there. So it's cool. As a Catholic development person, I'm weeping right now. It's, that's the most beautiful explanation of that fountain I've ever heard. And now we have it on record. On record, on record. Because when I was arguing with Stephen over, over buildings, over You gave people, me such a hard time. I was like, I no, re- there's a purpose. We're doing this. I researched it, and I was like, nah, okay. <laughs> ah, it's actually a good project. Yeah. So why do we say this? Because so many times whenever we do a building project, fundraising, Lord, help us, another capital campaign. We do these things. You always hear groans from everyone. From me. Yeah, no one likes to hear that stuff. <laughs> no yes, one likes what? to it's yeah. time for another campaign. And also, it's very awkward to make the ask because you know yeah. as soon as you do that, you've got like that. You can almost hear the eyes rolling back into people's heads <laughs> when you get up there and make an ask for money. And I think it's very important what um, what of, of a parish being sensitive to that because I think sometimes – it is very easy to be sold into a cap, another capital campaign, yeah. another fundraiser, that you have to be, as a church, hypersensitive to the fact that the eye rollers are coming, and some people actually leave the church over it. Now, I'm not saying that they're justified in leaving it. I don't think you are at all. Yeah. But it should give us pause how we ask, when we ask, right. how often we ask, because it's not just the capital campaign. It's, it, I, I remember going to a church... Uh, I was visiting, we went, um, we, we were visiting an area for two weeks, and we went maybe like four or five times. Every time we were on campus, we were approached with another thing, another thing, another thing, asking for money. Yeah. Before you even got to the front door, 
And then you had the passer asking for money of all the tourists, because it was like a tourist destination thing. It was overwhelmingly repugnant. Yeah. And you're just like, Ugh! So there comes a part where you just want to be like, why don't you pay your employees more money? Why don't you do a capital campaign to pay people more money? Why don't you do a capital campaign to help the poor? You know? And so a lot of people will say, like when they built the new co-cathedral, the Sacred Heart in downtown Houston, a lot of people would say, do you know how many poor people you could feed for right. you know, five years how many families you could take care of. And so we wanted to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we would also be remiss to not just acknowledge the fact that our parish is 21 years old now. And we've had like three or four capital campaigns. Yeah, I think four capital campaigns um, in those 21 years. Now, there's something you could look at that on the surface level and be like, oh, that is disgusting. They're, they're a parish obsessed with money. Um, one of those was simply a debt campaign to get us out of debt, which we've successfully now done. Um, but I think it's also important to note that while you may go to a parish in, you know, I don't know, somewhere in the Midwest that's 100 years old that they hardly ever do a capital campaign, their numbers are probably pretty stagnant at that parish. Our parish opened in 1997, 300 families at Oak Ridge High School, and this summer we just registered our, our – we hit 7,000 families as a parish. So when you look at the percentage of growth, yeah. that's also part of the reason for all these building campaigns yeah. and all these things is we're trying to keep up with the amount of people. And it's not even just our parish. Some of it is just the, the entire area of the Woodlands, Montgomery County, how it's grown. Yeah. We're trying to keep up with that growth to be able to provide uh, the services that are demanded by our parishioners and by the community. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing a growth us. of, you know, from St. Simon and Jude being the only Catholic church serving uh, you know, 60,000 people in 1998 right. to two churches serving 170,000 people, right. two Catholic churches, 170,000 people 20 years later. Right. And that dynamism of growth and the fact that there is not going to be another Catholic church built in the woodlands. No. You know, there is, there no. is no other Catholic church is going to be built in our area. And so no. we have to grow in the physical space that we have however we can. All right. And so that it is interesting how we have to um, how we have to deal with that. But when when do you feel like as a development person that it goes too far? Like we like I am a fan of being debt free. And our yeah. church is what we got like one more debt service payment or something like that. And I think it's free. been I think it's been being made this month or like on November first or something. Like we're nice. we're we're basically we are a debt free parish, which is a rarity um, of of newer parishes that you know there's not a lot of parishes out there that can say that they're debt free particularly with as fast as we did it i mean we did it our parishioners were very generous to get us to that point does that mean that we'll forever be debt free though i you know no, I don't think we can say if that. If you're doing a big, if we're going to build another building, right? Can, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's it's hard to say that we can't we can't limit the future of our parish and say that we'll never be debt free again. But for right now, we are, and it's yeah. a great place for us to be right now. Particularly, kind of the the climate and the atmosphere within the church. It's Ooh, nice. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> nice to not have that kind of um, hanging over our head. Yeah. So my big thing is. Um, being able to hear and answer people when they say, like, hey, we're going to do another capital campaign. So let's talk real quick yeah. about we just uh, purchased a whole bunch of sacred vessels. So, yeah. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, so we, we just did this uh, kind of outreach to buy new sacred vessels. Um, and when we talked about it um, internally, the idea with this was that the sacred vessels that we uh, currently have, and when we say sacred vessels, we mean the, the saboria and the cups that we use at Mass to distribute um, Holy Communion uh, every Sunday and every day at Mass. 
And the ones that we're currently using in the church, they're nice. They're not bad. Um, they were purchased at a time when we were also building everything else on campus, and there was a lot of needs on campus. And so they're not exactly like what is the most recommended for a vessel at mass. They're not wrong, but like the the general instruction of the Roman Missal recommends that you have a gilded vessel, meaning that the interior of it is lined with a precious metal. Um, and the re- there's multiple reasons for that, but ultimately the, the simplistic way of looking at it is that we're offering the best that we can um, to the vessel that's going to hold our Eucharistic Lord. Um, and so currently the vessels that we have, they're nice, they're beautiful, but they're not gilded. They're not a precious metal. Um, and at the time that they were purchased, it, the idea was, hey, we can only do what we can do, and we have a lot of needs to build our parish up. Now, 21 years later, um, we can kind of come back to these things. And this is how parishes build up history and and are able to go back and do these things over time. And so we looked at it and said, maybe now is the time to, um, to purchase new vessels. We didn't want to put it out though, being sensitive to the whole parish. We didn't want to just put it out to every single parishioner and say, Hey, you want to buy a $500 Saboria? Um, Because we felt like that could be kind of I don't know, just received maybe not the best. And so we, instead we said, let's go to the ministries and see if the ministries want to buy in, um, which is still the parishioners at the end of the day, but, but donate in honor of a ministry, and then we would engrave the vessel with that ministry. Um, and, and the idea with it behind it is, okay, let's put it out there and see. If the ministries don't respond well to it, and then we try it with the parishioners and they don't respond well to it, then we won't do it. You know, we'll, we'll just say we're going to stick with the vessels that we have. And no one responded. And no one responded. Actually, that's not true. Uh, they, <laughs> the exact opposite. The happened. exact opposite happened, yeah. The ministry heads and, and the different people who, who love their ministries um, responded very well to it. Um, shout out to the ushers, uh, who totally unexpectedly <laughs> donated four vessels just for their ministry. Um, and, and so we were able to fund this That's project. That's actually a typo. It was actually Usher, the famous singer, songwriter, musician guy. False. Yeah. He donated them. Yeah. From his Grammy win. Peace up, A-Town down. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Well done. I danced to it. That's on the last. I know. <laughs> Taking it back to the early 2000s. I love it. No, yeah. So the project was funded within a month, um, That's awesome. which is really awesome. So we'll be ordering those vessels here in the next few weeks, and we hope to have them in time for Advent. Each one of them will be engraved with a different ministry in the church on the bottom. Um, and then we're not just going to throw out the old vessels, right, because they're still usable. Um, but we're going to use those for, like, creating travel maskets. So when the priests go to, say, mass at someone's house or in the hospital, um, you know, when we have axe retreats, youth ministry retreats, we'll have more maskets available. And then we've also talked about donating some of our older sacred vessels to our Honduras mission. Um, because the chapels that yeah. we built over the years down in Honduras and uh, Trujillo and the different villages, uh, you know, they don't, they have no access to be able to purchase a sacred yeah. vessel for they mass. They do have a sacristy. They Every do. Every one of those yeah. places has a sacristy that they built. It's a tiny closet-sized room, yeah. but it has lockable cabinets and space and all that stuff. Yeah. But so it's, so it's kind of cool that we're going to yeah. be able to provide that next year on the Honduras mission and, and bring some of those vessels that have been used at our parish for 20 years. And now we have this awesome mission down in Honduras that it's right. kind of a connection point liturgically between us and the people of Honduras. Yeah, that's awesome. And so what I, I wanted to do is kind of come at it from a biblical perspective, because I think a lot of people look at the gilded nature of certain church buildings or sacred art or whatever. Yeah. And they balk at it. They're like, why is the money going here? Okay, so I, I just want to take like maybe two or three minutes to say, number one, we are Roman Catholics. And as Roman Catholics, 
we worship with all five senses. We are not disembodied angel angelic spirits. Right. We have a body. We have smells and bells and the whole deal. Okay, that's number one. So we worship with our whole body. Number two, art and fine art is one of the noblest things human beings can create. On top of that, you have religious art. And on top of that, you have sacred art. And then the church views sacred art as the highest of all forms of artistic achievement. That is, doing things for the actual worship of God or leading to the worship of God. And that is very biblical. Yeah. So God laid out very clear instructions in the book of Exodus on how he wanted the tabernacle to be built. He didn't just say, you know, if you got some cloth lying around, what I care more about is, you know, the people. You don't even need a tent. We can have a church without walls. Let's just slap the tabernacle in the No, he was very specific. When you build my the Ark of the Covenant, acacia wood inlaid with gold, all of this stuff. When you build the tabernacle furniture in the tabernacle and the, the vestments of the priests, it uses this phrase, um, number one, the word glory or glory of the Lord was the first time it was ever used was in the book of Exodus. And it talks about the power of God manifested to Pharaoh to smash him down. Then it refers to the power of God descending on Mount Sinai. And then it refers to the worship we give to God through beautiful things. The phrase is for worship and for beauty or for glory and for beauty. And that's used a couple of times in Exodus 28 for glory and for beauty. So God himself mandates in the book of Exodus, in the Old Covenant, yes, Old Covenant, how we give glory and honor to God. As that transferred into the New Covenant, almost immediately, once the church moved out of house churches, they moved into Roman basilicas, right. which used to be places of like where the judge would sit, and they turned them into churches. Because the church has always worshipped with her body because we're human. Right. Artwork and all this stuff. But here's the funny thing, and this is where I think the bridge is beautiful about what he said. Beauty usually costs a lot of money, mm. right? You can go to Ikea and get a $400 couch. You can go to Ethan Allen and get a $4,000 couch. $4,000 couch, I don't know if it's worth 10 times more, but yeah. it certainly probably looks better, made with better materials, all this stuff. To a point, beauty costs money. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely does. And, and I think that, you know, there's also people that will argue that there's a beauty in simplicity. Yeah. Um, and, and that is true. I mean, there's definitely, um, and, and I think that in some ways, there's elements of St. Anthony's that um, is simplistic in nature. You know, uh, if you think about the fact that we have, on the lower half of our church, we just have simple open windows that look to the outdoors. That's a pretty simple idea. Uh, the the ceiling in our church, um, here's the thing about the ceiling in our church. A lot of people just look at that and be like, oh, it's just wood. But it's very intentionally placed wood. It, it's, it's very linear. It, it looks very good. And also, we are a church in the woodlands. So, so cut down the trees. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Look at the symbolism, baby. Let's not joke about that. Uh, so, no, but I mean, it, it kind of, uh, what I love about the interior of our church is that we're a Franciscan, uh, we have a Franciscan patron is the name of our church, um, which is very, uh, you know, St. Francis and his followers, St. Anthony, they were very into creation. Yeah. Um, they were very into the natural world. I mean, it even kind of reminds me of uh, the, if anyone's ever been to the cathedral in San Diego, which is named in honor of St. Joseph, their ceiling is kind of the same way. And I remember the first time I saw that cathedral on a trip, I was visiting friends out there. I was like, wow, this really is, it reminds me of St. Joseph. He was a carpenter. And so when I look at the ceiling in St. Anthony's, you could look at that and say, oh, it's, it's simple in nature, but it, 
it reminds me of the the cr- the creation, the love of creation of the Franciscans, which Saint Anthony of Padua was. Um, he, he was a lover of creation, just yep. like St. Francis. But then when you get to our altar, when you get to our, our tabernacle, that's where that kind of beautiful, sacred, golded, gilded look takes place. And that's where it's appropriate because it's where our Eucharistic Lord resides. And so uh, I remember there was a church in uh, the Diocese of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, I come from that diocese. Uh, a lot of kind of modernist churches that are, uh, let me just say it bluntly, Stupid, ugly, ugly, bland. <laughs> On the outside, it could be a dentist's office yeah. or a mini mall. It could be any number of things. And you go inside and you're like, oh, here's a shapeless blob yeah. with a tabernacle and an altar in it. And they look very plain and, and, and ridiculous. They don't look like they are thoroughly Catholic, right? Yeah. And, uh, and you have bland, uh, blank walls and spaces that are in the Catholic tradition. You cover those with stained glass windows or with sacred images, stations of the cross, because it is very easy to daydream during a mass. And you daydream by looking around, and everything in the church is supposed to return Draw you, you back to in. the glory of God. Yeah. And so that, that's something that's really important. But I heard about a church called the Shrine of St. Therese. I think it's in Bartlesville in the Diocese of Tulsa. And my buddy was telling me about it, and he said, it's one of the most beautiful churches. And it's not a big church or anything like that. It's one of the most beautiful churches, and it was one of the cheapest churches in the diocese. It's kind of become this interesting model. So we went up, and we did a little mini pilgrimage there. And he was telling me the story because he was a seminarian when he was being built. And so he went out to see it. The bishop is a a much more traditional bishop there um, when it comes to liturgy. And so it was kind of, look at this church, young men who are going to be priests. You can have a church like this too. And it was beautiful on the inside. And you know who built it? Who? The people. They funded really? everything. Everything that Don't it the was, people always built it? No. Not just by giving cash. They funded it or they built it with their own hands. So for instance, wow. everything that was that was like legally they were allowed to participate in construction wise, yeah. the people did. So they went and picked up Instead of having trucks drop off pallets of, of these cool, like, paver stones that are, like, underneath our church, yeah. um, they, like, drove out and gathered or had the company, like, put them in their truck, and they drove This it. is the most Oklahoma story I've it ever is, heard. It is. It is. It gets even better because then they hired an artist on how to paint uh, gold leaf over one of the side altars. Mm. And then the other two or three side altars or whatever it is, uh, niches, the people painted the rest yeah, without the art. It's kind of like the painted churches in Texas that were built by the Czech and the German immigrants yeah. to Texas. Yeah, and so these people aren't artists. Yeah. They're moms and dads. They're you know working men and women, and they went and painted this, this the ceiling with this stuff all on their own. So it was they paid for it, of course, but then they learned how to do it, and then they went and did it. Okay, so fun fact. Okay. Here at St. Anthony's, um, one of our parishioners donated a whole redo of our Eucharistic chapel, the lights and the window treatments and all that, and added stained glass in there for us. Um, yeah, the, by window treatments, you mean the wooden slats that protect us from the surface of the sun, sun temperatures. Heat, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was making our chapel feel more like um, <laughs> Dante's uh, first layer <laughs> of hell. Um, no, yeah, so our, our beautiful chapel now has these awesome yeah. window treatments that, that have made it um, more breathable in there, but also the, the stained glass windows that uh, were added right. and the new lighting. But actually now, if you'll notice above the altar in there, there, uh, there are um, nine pointed gold stars that were painted on the ceiling, and that was actually done by one of our parishioners. That's awesome. Did I you didn't know even that? know that. No. Yes, it was done by. Um, oh, I don't know if I'm if she would want me to mention her name, but she is a. I'm not going to mention. Should I mention her name? No, 
Because then if we can mention it later if she doesn't want it. You okay. Know? Some, some people do. They want to be anonymous. All right. So, yeah, we'll leave it anonymous for now. But it, this, uh, this artist who is in our parish grew up in our parish, went through youth ministry, the whole thing, and she actually painted those nine-pointed stars that are now in our chapel above That's awesome. the Eucharist. And the nine points are supposed to represent the nine choirs of angels. That is awesome. Yeah. and that the, So we have an element of that, that our parishioners have done some of these things with their well, own Well, and I was thinking about that in terms of the Saboria, right? Yeah. Like, these ministries donated this for the glory of God. Yeah. Right? Now, you can look at that and say, I think that's a cop-out. You know, it's not like we made them physically. But there's an element where the closer you get to the Eucharist, the more time you should invest in it. One of the priests who lived the most impoverished life imaginable as a priest, uh, who is the patron saint of all diocesan priests, um, St. Jean-Marie Vianney, he had this line where he said... That was a good French accent. (laughs) Jean-Marie Vianney. He said this great line that the priest's cassock should be shabby but his vestments should be sublime. Mm. Meaning, when I am there doing the work of the Mass, everything should be for the glorification of God. A priest wearing fancy vestments, like my buddy Father David Huss, who did the noon Mass after Scott Hahn was here, he brought his own vestments. He has very ornate 120-year-old vestments that he wears that that was given to him uh, as gifts. He has a series of vestments that was given as a gift when he got ordained a couple months ago. But... He doesn't wear that to be like, hey, look at me, you know? Yeah, he doesn't wear those like when he goes to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> I could, uh, I I'll like, take the four count of I would of like strips. my chicken biscuit and my sweet tea. <laughs> Dominus Vobiscum. <laughs> but are, the whole idea is... <laughs> but, but he also drives a 27-year-old car. Yeah. You know, like his life is simple. And yet, when it comes to this thing in front of him, he is going to bring his A game. Because it's not about him. It's about the glory of the Lord. He's, he's acting in persona Christi. Absolutely. And along those lines, Vatican II laid out some important principles that I'm going to bring up. You said beauty and simplicity. Um, the actual document, Sacrosanctum Concilium, our favorite, mm-hmm. um, actually said that for sacred images in a church, you need to exercise moderation. Um, that it actually said that the art should be moderate with sacred images uh, because it could lead to a doubtful orthodoxy. Can you imagine a church, every inch is covered in people putting up like little pictures of, you know, the Virgin of Guadalupe and pictures of like their favorite patron saint and it's just every inch is covered. You might walk in there and think it's not about the glory of the Lord in the tabernacle. Well, and those churches do exist. They do, they do. And then my favorite statement is, that the Sacrosanctum Concilium says that bishops must remove, it's part of their sacred duty as bishops to go to their churches and remove repugnant artwork that is contrary to the faith and mediocre artwork. Like, they should be like, you know what? This picture of... Uh, so felt banners. <laughs> felt banners, gone. Boom. Yeah. Out. But, you know, that... Because, Sorry for all of those of you who grew up in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Because... It's inappropriate for the yeah. sacred space. And the very sacredness of that space means when I enter here, it's a taste of heaven. I'm surrounded by the angels. Yeah. It doesn't mean it has to be a million-dollar sanctuary. Yeah, I mean, let, let's be realistic about yeah. it, right? Like, we're not going to see as many basilicas and churches built like what you see when you go and visit Europe and, and different places. Or, like, you know, and, and that's okay. You can still have a dynamically looking, you know, a great example of this, I think, is Christ the Redeemer in Houston. Mm. Their sanctuary is mm. 
gorgeous. I, I mean, it's absolutely okay. beautiful. And it's done in a way that's obviously it's a modern church, but it still kind of alludes to the sacredness of what takes place in the mass there. And I think St. Anthony's is an example of that too. Um, you know, in, in a different way, what I love about like when you look at our altar is the, the, uh, the columns behind it and how the, the tabernacles behind those columns. And it kind of gives you that almost that visual of what maybe, um, Solomon's temple would have looked like mm. uh, in the layout of it and things like that. A pillared building. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I think that, you know, there is this balance that we have to realize, like, we're not going to be building. There's some people that wish that all churches would look like St. Peter's, and that's just not realistic. I was a part, at a church where, like, a handful of donors and were in charge of the capital campaign, yeah. and they said, we want to put St. Peter's Basilica to shame. Wow. And then they realized, for a parish church, and then they realized they literally had it uh, blueprinted, all that stuff. I feel like there's a story in Scripture about that. That sounds kind of like Bab- the Tower of Babylon. <laughs> I don't know. We will make a tower as high as the heavens. <laughs> yeah. There's Everything. A lot, of, a lot of pride in a statement like I know. That. I know. And for a church building to hold for 500 people, it was going to cost like $28 million without the sacred artwork. That's Just ridiculous. the painting, the furnishings, and the building structure itself. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, painting the wall, not the sacred art. And uh, they were like, well, that's all my money I was going to donate, so we're going to scale this back a bit. And it, it, the project was a disaster. But yeah. um, I do want to say, though, uh, when you go to church, it should be uh, worthily and beautifully serve the dignity of worship. Okay, so a blah, bland architecture. When you walk into a church, you should know you are entering not just a church, but a Catholic church. Yeah. We're not the Plymouth Brethren. We right. don't just have a pulpit where a man preaches, we have an altar and, and the pulpit, right? Those are the word of God and the sacrament of the word of God, right? Those are the key focuses of everything we do. So that's why we have a tabernacle and all that stuff. That also, um, and I love this, is that God's house should be in good taste and a worthy place. In good taste and a worthy place for prayer and the sacred ceremonies of the church. And finally, and I just think it's a good tidbit to know, the musical tradition of the church, the church says there is no greater art found in the world than in the musical tradition uh, of sacred music, music for the worship of God. It says that is the highest and greatest form of art. So we should invest in that, too. Which I think we do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we invest Bam. in all these things here as parish. Like, you know, I, one of the other things I think that, I, I don't know, I just really want to make this point is that, you know, sometimes we have, like, expenses as a parish family. And I say yeah. that it, it – it's everyone's responsibility. If you yeah. come to Mass here, if you come for whatever, this place is your place. Now, yes, some of us are charged with making the decisions, whether it's the, the leadership team yeah. of, the, of the employees or the, the pastoral council or different um, governing bodies. That's important. But we all have to own this campus. This campus belongs to all of us. And we are charged by God to be the stewards of this parish and, and to take care of what um, he has given us and what collectively we have invested. There's a lot of parishioners that have moved on or have passed away that gave a lot 20 years ago when this parish was yeah. first built. And we owe it to them to keep that tradition alive, whether it's buying new vessels, planting trees, uh, you know, renovating a fountain, um, putting in new AV equipment into a yeah. classroom, yeah. Uh, you know, renovating a bathroom. All of those things are important. Now, 
some of them are less attractive when you talk about fundraising. Like, hey, some- <laughs> let's uh, put on a new roof. What yeah, do you say? Hey, I want to donate that new toilet you got in the Northex, <laughs> and I want my name on it, right? Uh, like, well, good thing your name's John. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry to all the parishioners named John. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- these things are all important, and and it's our responsibility to take care of them. And and so we we ask actually, really, all the parishioners that whether we're doing a fundraiser, or a capital campaign, or just general office whatever it is um take care of the parish you know like own it you know uh if you're sitting in the pew and you see a piece of trash or something like pick it up or whatever you know like all these little things help over time to make sure that we're we're being good stewards of uh this beautiful beautiful campus that god has given us for prayer and worship and formation yeah so in short i was right Stephen was wrong wait what oh wait wait isn't that what we agreed no i think we just we agreed that we're both right because we're both saying the same thing. No? Yeah, maybe. We'll go with that. <laughs> oh, come no, on. You do, you do need to invest in buildings, but you also need to invest in people. You do. And that's why we also have, and we've always had, and think about this. I think this is so beautiful. The first building we built with our capital campaign was not uh, a building for ourselves. It wasn't office space. wasn't storage for lighting equipment or something like that. It wasn't a studio that I desperately want. It was an outreach building. An outreach building that then became the epicenter of Harvey Relief for North Houston. Like, yeah. it was incredible. We built a place to feed the poor. So when and we, it was dedicated and open like less than six months before Harvey hit. Yeah, which is so, amazing. So when we rail against yet another capital campaign, and let me be honest with you, I have done that. And plan on doing that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> know this, that it also go, goes to serving God's people. And if you really feel strongly about like, oh, no, I don't want more art or architecture or anything, then give, give, give to St. Anthony's Bread and to St. Vincent de Paul, where money goes directly to immediate relief of people in dire circumstances. Not an anonymous check sent. We go, they sit down with the people, they pray with them, they talk to them, they invite them to Mass, they assess their needs so the church is not getting ripped off by scammers. But, but I'm going yeah. to interrupt you. Yeah. And those are important ministries. And, and obviously I'm saying this because it. I don't want people to think that even when we do capital campaigns yeah. that we're neglecting these other Totally, things. totally. Yeah. But also, we have, we have just as much a responsibility to give to General Offertory as yeah. we do to St. Anthony's Bread. Oh, yeah. Because otherwise, if we don't and we just earmark everything for St. Anthony's Bread we're not going to be able to operate as a parish with everything else that we need to do to turn on the lights, um, you know, to, to, to air condition the place. But I just want to, I want to point that out because a lot of the climate in the church right now has been, well, don't, don't give to parishes, starve the beast to, to kind of solve all these different things with scandal in the church. And the reality is if you do that, it's not really going to impact a cardinal necessarily. It's going to impact the people that are actually the coordinator of evangelization. (laughs) It's going to impact the lay employees first that are trying to um, build up a strong parish for the people. So anyways, that's my side little tangent on that little soapboxy, a little soapboxy, but it's important. You know, it's, it's, it's important that we keep this place going because the parishes where people encounter God here in the woodlands. Yeah. Buildings versus people for glory and for beauty. I think we should rename it buildings and people. Thank you.